0: Well, if you're new with us, or you've been hunting for the last little while, or you were just out of town, or you have taken a complete hiatus from church and decided to come back, we are so glad you're here, but let me just kind of bring you up to speed. We are going through our new series called Walk This Way, and it's from the letter that um, the Apostle John wrote to the church, the first one, so it's 1 John that we're looking at this morning, and... um, So we've been working our way through his letter, and we're just kind of like right at the beginning of it. We're just stepping into it. And the overriding theme of this is, like I said, as you go through life, walk like Jesus walked. That's the call. That's the command. It's to walk like Jesus. And so that's kind of where John's taking us. And so the part of walking in this way as Jesus did means that it involves walking in the light. And I don't know how many of you have ever been into a cave or a big cavern. Some of you have gone in there before ventured down with Jamie down into the bowels of the earth. And then you get into one of those spots where it's really dark and you can I mean there's no outside light coming in and you turn off a flashlight or the lights you can't see anything. It's absolutely pitch black. I mean, you. I think even if you were in there for hours and you tried to let your eyes adjust to the dark, that it would still just be dark. Darkness. And sometimes when you don't have lights on, like at nighttime, and you walk through your own home, you pretty much can... Feel your way through because you know where all the furniture is, right? No. Well, you know, when I was in high school, um, I I accused my two brothers, one just older than me and the one younger than me, and I called them the snooze brothers because they would hang out at home, Friday night, Saturday night. They would just stay home. And I don't... I don't know if they just didn't have any friends or what the deal was, but um, I was always going and hanging out with my high school buddies. And my mom and dad said, yeah, you can go hang out with your friends. And they knew my friends, and they were okay. We, I had good friends, really good friends. And, um, but they said, you do have to be home by midnight. Even though I was hanging out with really good guys, they said be home by midnight. And so trying to be a really conscientious son, when I would walk in the front door, I'd lock it behind me. I'd turn a little corner, and then there was kind of a family room fireplace area kind of connected to the dining area. You'd go through the kitchen to get to my bedroom at the back of the house. Everybody else's bedroom was down another corridor over here on the other side. And so I wouldn't turn the lights on. I would leave them off because even though it was dark, I could see a few little shapes here and there, and I knew the layout of the house really well, and so I could navigate my way through there. The Snooze Brothers had a different thought in mind. And one night when I came home, they had totally rearranged all the furniture so that when I tried to snake my way through it, I banged into stuff, knocked stuff over, knocked chairs over. It was a total mess. I woke up to an entire household. And when I finally got to the other end and I said, Forget it, I'm turning the kitchen light on. I turned the light on, there's furniture kicked over. I can hear the snooze brothers in their room snickering. <laughs> they thought it was real funny. I did not think it was so funny. My mom and dad said, good night. <laughs> Here's the point. Sometimes when you're in darkness and you can't see anything, you can't find your way, you can't feel anything, it, it's really dangerous to move forward. And sometimes when it's just dark and you can kind of see stuff, it may not be as dangerous, but you could still hurt yourself. And what's true physically is true spiritually. When we're in darkness, the enemy of our soul is going to come and attack. And when we think we can see a little bit enough to get by and get through, that's probably when we're in greater danger. And I think a lot of people live in that time, that that space where it's... It's a little bit dark, but there might be a little bit of flicker of light that makes things. You can see shadows or forms of things, but you can't see completely. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to take a look at what it means to be walking in the light as Jesus did. And so we're, uh, we're looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. I'm going to read the whole passage, then we're going to come back and talk about it. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all of our sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want you to notice in in verse 5 what he says there, that the message that came from God is proclaimed throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is that God is light. God is light and He is, then as John goes on to say, that there is no darkness in Him at all. The character of God Himself is light and Jesus is the incarnation of that divine light. Now let me explain what that looks like and what that kind of means because as we think about light and darkness, you can start to kind of... Bring it together so that you understand who God is. God is completely, 100% pure light. And when I talk about light, I'm not talking about the sun. I'm talking about spiritual light. And when the spiritual light starts to shine, what it does is it illuminates everything around it and there is nothing hidden in the recesses when the spiritual light of Jesus gets turned on. Everything becomes clear. Everything that was kind of in the shadows or was more like a form that we don't clearly understand, that we don't clearly see, that we're not holding on to, that we're not really getting a grasp of and a hold of, all of a sudden becomes illuminated to us and we get to see it clearly for what it is. Matter of fact, in John's gospel, not to be confused with the letter we're looking at, but one of the four gospels, John said this in chapter 1. In him, that's Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. This, what the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, throughout the entire creation and history of mankind, God keeps shining his spiritual light into the lives of men and women and children all around the world. And as hard as they try to, to extinguish God, they cannot. And John's saying that that it is a big deal because here's what light, light represents when it 's associated with God. It, on one hand it 's that of revelation and salvation. In other words, when the light of God shines into people's lives, all of a sudden what's happening is there's a revelation that God is being making known to those that he's shining his light to. For, so for some, when they come and they step into maybe a service like this, and all of a sudden the light of Jesus is shown brightly, Jesus is revealing himself to someone who may not even know who he is. They come in in darkness... And all of a sudden that darkness is dispelled because the light hits it and the darkness has to flee away from it. And so there's this revelation that comes through Jesus and that light also produces salvation. So that's the one thing. The other is holiness. This light produces holiness. Light, it symbolizes the flawless perfection of God. And and then we bring it into the understanding of when you take light and dark, you come to the comparison of good and evil. It's so familiar. We look at it everywhere. I mean, if, if you go back and you watch some of the old Western movies, the good guy always wore what? And the bad guy? That's it right there. Because what they were doing is not only were they saying, this guy right here with this gun, that's about ready to shoot that guy in the back. You see it, and you hear the words, but what you're visually picking up is that the black guy is the bad guy. Hollywood portrayed that. Where do you think they got that from? Right there. And they don't think they're influenced by God. You know what else is really interesting, and I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but anytime there is a photo or a picture or they show a group of terrorists from the Middle East, none of them are wearing white robes and white turbans. Every single time you see them, they are dressed in black. Every single time. And there's a reason behind that, because what light does is represents white. God's white is so light is so beaming white light that you can't stand to be in the presence of it. And so when John says this, he says, if we have fellowship with him, we uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You see, there's this, there's this thing, because he, he's talking about walking in darkness. And he says, if we say that we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, there's a lie and we don't practice the truth. What John wants his readers to know about this darkness is that he is speaking not of the absence of light like the sun or the lamp, but rather the absence of divine illumination found in Jesus. So living in darkness, we call that what? Sin. Get ready to say that word. Sin. Say it. We don't like saying that word anymore. When we lie, instead of saying, I lied, we say, I misspoke. Liar. And so we don't like really saying the sin word because it's no longer politically correct. But I'm telling you, if you're living in darkness, it's incompatible with having fellowship with God. If you're living in sin, it's incompatible of having fellowship with God. Just so we understand what John's talking about here, the phrase walking in darkness means we're walking in continual sin. I'm not talking about you, you you know because we've talked about this a lot before and so, but let me remind you refresh you a little bit. There are three kinds of, of sin that the Bible talks about. do you remember what they are? We have transgression, we have iniquity, and we have your uh, run of the day every kind of normal sin and so transgression, according to the Old Testament, is that sin that is called premeditated sin. David committed King David when he Looked at Bathsheba and he wanted her and he slept with her and he had a baby by her and then had her husband killed at the front lines in battle. That was premeditated sin. It's called transgression. The other one is iniquity. Iniquity is that default sin that I have in my own life. That default sin where that's what I'm kind of going to run to when I feel like I need to sin. Because every once in a while we just get that little itch because we're going like, oh man. I've been good too long. I've been trusting God way too much. Now, oh, i got to lie to someone. And you just can't help yourself. And so you spew out this lie. Hey, did you know I shot a 10 by 10 elk? And everybody's like, yeah, no, no, that didn't happen. Not going to happen. And so that's iniquity. Iniquity is that thing in us that we are most predisposed to to step back into our default sin for some people it's lying for other people it's stealing for other people it's gossip for other people it's sexual immorality for whoever i mean you just you can whatever you think of somebody has a default sin for that and then when we talk about sin sin that's that kind of sin when you kind of like are, you come home from work and there's this nice row of cookies out on the, you know, rack because they're hot and they're cooling off, and so you just walk by and you kind of scoop up, you know, one or seven. <laughs> and then you get a, a glass of milk or something, or coffee, and you go sit down on the couch and you're eating cookies, and, and you're going, I know we're supposed to be having dinner in a half hour, but this isn't going to hurt anybody else. And so you eat the cookies and then your wife walks in the door and she looks at the thing and there's like three cookies left and she's like, did you eat these cookies? And you're like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. Because you know that when you looked at those cookies, they were for something else. But you just really didn't care and so you took them and you ate them anyway. But the sin comes is when you got caught and you lied about it, that's your sin. That's your normal, everyday run of the mill. You, you, it's not your default thing. It's not something you premeditated. It just kind of happened, and it's like, oh, crap, I just sinned. And so when, when John's talking about here, when he says that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, what he's talking about is not that, oops, I just sinned, it's that default sin that I like to go to. It feels good. It feeds me. I know it's wrong. I know it's bad. I know I should never entertain it. But I am going to feed my soul with this thing. I hate it, but I love it. There's a comfort in it. And I'm going to, we go to the default sin. Or we are already premeditating a sin that we're going to commit. And we really enjoy committing that sin. So we keep doing it. That's what he's talking about right here. When he says, when we walk in darkness... Here's what happens when we're walking in darkness, in sin. We are no longer in fellowship with God. It is not possible to have fellowship with God and walk in sin. Because to have fellowship with God means that you're walking in, or rather, living in righteousness. And darkness, sin, has nothing to do with righteousness, light. And so, we even maybe have some, someone in the church who is walking in darkness, living in sin. And sin is the act of disobeying God's word, His law, His commandments. Or disobeying the call of the Spirit for you to do something. And when we have people in the church who are walking this way in darkness, contrary to the gospel on a regular basis, there is a good reason to question the genuineness of their conversion, their walk with Jesus. And secondly, it's possible for a Christ follower to sin and live in periods of carnality and yet be truly saved. The Bible affirms both of these realities. The the problem comes is that if we start to get into the place where we think we're the judge of that, to tell whether this person is truly saved or they're just living in a season of sin, we become God, and then all of a sudden we mess everything up. I will tell you something. There's a difference between coming alongside of a brother and sister and bringing a rebuke. Do you know what a rebuke, a biblical rebuke, looks like? It's gentle and respectful. Every time. Jesus, whenever he rebuked anybody, except for the religious leaders, he got a little after them because they thought they were something. But when we come alongside someone and we are going to say, hey, listen, I have noticed there's this pattern in your life, something that's going on. And I love you so much that I have to talk to you about this. Affirm the relationship before you start to go in and go like, hey, quit being a jerk. After you've affirmed the relationship, then tell them quit being a jerk. Do it gently and respectfully because guess what happens when you don't? You don't win a brother out of sin. They might go deeper into sin because they're going to go like, if that's what the church is like, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's what God's people are really like... I don't want to hang around with God's people. And so we're called to do, to step into people's lives, absolutely. But we are not to say, I don't think you're a believer or I don't think that you, you know, you're, you're living in sin right now and you need to deal with that. What we need to do is we need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would work in their life because that's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. It's not your job. So if you're doing it, stop it. When John says, if we say we have fellowship while walking in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So what's the difference between here where John says, you're lying, and he says, you're not practicing the truth? Well, let me help you just understand and give you a differentiation on that. Did I just make up a word? Okay. Anyway, let me help you understand the difference between the two. That's better. All right. So when it says that you're lying, what you do is you are speaking. It involves your mouth and words and you're speaking falsehood to a certain situation. But when it says you're not practicing the truth, it means by your behavior, your conduct and your actions, they don't line up with what you say. And so they catch each other. So when... When it says, I have fellowship with God, but I'm living in darkness over here, and I'm living in this darkness, and someone comes and says, hey, what's going on? Hey, it's okay. God and I, He's okay with this. We're good. We're in fellowship. He loves me. We're having communion together. Me and Jesus, we're all right with what's going on right here, and the Bible clearly says this is not all right, but what we're doing is we're saying with our mouth, it's okay, and God's all right with it, and our life shows that we are not okay and what we're doing is wrong on all levels and it is sinful. So that's why John says, you're speaking falsehood with your mouth and your actions and your behavior, you're not practicing truth. It's It's a pretty big deal. Because what we want to do is we want to be in that place to where we are What we're saying lines up with what we're doing. It's it's walking in the behavior and conduct and lifestyle that reflects the fellowship with God. And when we're not in fellowship with God, we do something that is totally out of character of who God is. And so if we claim to have this fellowship with God and we're telling other people that we're in fellowship with God and our life doesn't show fellowship with God. We're sending a mixed message to people and they're wondering, I thought you said you were a Christ follower, yet the way you live your life doesn't match up with anything that I know of other Christ followers. And especially that's a big, huge deal when you're talking about your life to people who don't know Jesus. They're watching. They're looking. And John says, if you're going to be in fellowship with God, you can't live in darkness. You can't, you can't be speaking falsehood. And your life activities can't be outside of the realm of truth. It needs to all line up. But let me remind you what it means to have fellowship with God. Having fellowship with God means that we have gone into business with God that His enterprises are to be our enterprises. Being in fellowship with God means we share mutual interests, devotion, and activity. As a Christ follower in close fellowship with God, His heartbeat becomes my heartbeat. His mission becomes my mission. His goals and plans become my goals and plans. We love that He loves what He loves. We desire what He desires. We hate what He hates. Our will is what He wills. And so this journey with God, when we're in fellowship with Him, what it means is that we're doing all the things that God is doing and wants us to do in conjunction with Him, but it's in an ever-deepening fellowship with Him that creates and reproduces within us the mind of Christ. So when you're in fellowship with God, it's more than having a cup of coffee and a cookie. It's much more involved. It's much deeper, and he's calling us. God has been calling us for a long time into deeper places with him, into places where we can have an understanding what it means to be drawn into him and to to do what he does and to have a heart like he has and to reach people the way he reaches people you see what we really want to see happen is we want people when they come into this building we want them to have an encounter with Christ we want to we want you to reach into their lives And then when we have this encounter with Christ and we've reached into people's lives and we help them to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of who Jesus is, then we turn around and we take that person with us and we go to the world and we say, because of what God has done, we will make a difference in the lives of people we know. But so often, what we say here and how we do this, walk in life, aren't getting it. And this isn't the first time God's ever had to deal with this issue. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 29, verse 13, it says, Because this people, he's talking about his people, the Israelites, his chosen people, draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their." Hearts are far from me. This is why John's writing this. It's because our hearts have this tendency to do what the heart wants to do. Have you ever heard that stupid saying? The heart wants what it wants. Therefore, I'm going to go and commit adultery. Justifying it all. Really smart. You know what happens sometimes when you commit adultery? The jealous husband shoots you dead. And then, the next thing you know, you're standing in front of Jesus, and he's going like, what were you thinking? Of course that was going to happen. Don't be stupid. So, when we walk in darkness, we fall into a trap of renaming sin, so that they don't appear so bad. Political correctness abounds all over our society. A person um, is not lazy anymore. He is merely motivationally disposed. A shoplifter is no longer a thief. He is a a cost-of-living-adjustment specialist. A prostitute is no longer a prostitute. She is a sex care provider. So what happens is sin does not lose its sinfulness by giving it a less offensive name. A skunk by any other name still stinks. And believe me, our sin is a stench in the nostrils of God. Uh, I don't know if you want to admit to this, but if you want to raise your hand, go ahead. Has anybody else been sprayed by a skunk? I knew Stinky Pete was my friend for a reason. I'm just telling you, you can go roll in hot tar and gravel and you cannot get that stench off. There's a reason why the doghouse was invented. (laughs) So here's the thing. To practice truth means living, to live according to the way revealed by Jesus to us. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's who Jesus is. Let's move on to verses 7 and 8. I got a couple minutes left. It says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, here John is saying that when we live according to God's light, that will bring us into relationship of fellowship with one another. Notice that he says that. You walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Why doesn't he say we have fellowship with God? Because it's a given when you're in the light, you already have fellowship with God. He doesn't have to reiterate what's already been written. Because being in the light is being in fellowship. But when we're in the fellowship, when we're in the light, walking in the light, we have fellowship with each other now. That's a command. And it it, it carries the same kind of... Uh, an idea or definition of being in fellowship with God is that now we are in business together, doing God's business together when we're in fellowship. It's not just getting around and eating a nice meal and having a good time. That is a small part of it, very small part of it, but it is now participating together, locking arms, digging a ditch together for the name of Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are... We belong to a denomination. Wind River Community Church belongs to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And we have churches all around the world. And those churches all around the world sometimes need help. And I think that shortly, we as a church could put our, our boots on the ground to help out some of our sister churches. Because we have 62 churches in Puerto Rico. Guess what? They got slammed. And guess what? We are their brothers and sisters. And I know if my brother's house got slammed and flattened, I'd get in my car and I'd go to see what I could do to help him. So keep your ears attuned. Because we may be asking you, Hey, you want to give up some of your vacation time to go to Puerto Rico? And help somebody else out? We might be asking you that. When I get more information, I will let you know. But I want you to be aware that as a church, we have brothers and sisters around the world. And some of them are in desperate need and we can help them out. And so that's what it means to be in fellowship with other Christ followers. Here's the thing. If you, the reality is you cannot have fellowship with God if you are not in fellowship with other Christ followers. And you cannot be in fellowship with other Christ followers if you are not in fellowship with God. It's a a package deal. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? Because somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? To love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, be in fellowship with Him, and to love your neighbor as yourself, be in fellowship with them can't get around it. You can't live in isolation. You can't say, I don't need you. You can't say, I can do church by myself. It's just me and God. That's not church. That's not even make-believe church. That's a skunky church, and it stinks. So, how do we walk in the light? Well, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a Light to my path. And the Bible teaches us how to live day by day in the way that pleases God and avoid sin. When I read and study the Bible, I discover where my life contradicts Scripture. And I can make the proper spiritual adjustments. Our ultimate reason for obeying the Word of God is to love Jesus more. Not to avoid sin, but to love Jesus more. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and when and and then we will have the effects of Jesus' blood cleansing us from our sin. Sin is a blot or a stain on my soul, spiritually speaking, and it needs to be cleansed, and the only thing that provides true stain-removing power is the blood of Jesus. It is not, and it it doesn't just remove the sin, it absolutely dissolves every trace that it was ever there. It doesn't leave this little kind of like, you know when you get a a stain on one of your clothing and you you wash it really well and everything goes away, but you look and you can look in a certain light, you can just take a little look and you go like, I can still see the effects of that stain on my clothing. Jesus is super bleach. There's going to be nothing left. There will be no residue left of your sin in your life when he cleanses you with his blood. I mean, that should be like a, woo, praise a kind of a time, right? You guys are going to learn that new word and use it someday. I want to move on to verse 9 because, well, I'll hit verse 8 real quick here. Oh, did I do seven yet? No. Yeah, okay. Hold on. I'm just talking to myself. It's okay. I'm, it, it's all right. You can call someone for help after church. Oh. That's scary. Anyway, verse 8 says, we deceive ourselves by not admitting we have sinned. Did you know that? If, if someone calls you on the carpet about something in your life, and it's true, and you say, no, that's not an issue. No, I don't deal with that. No, it's not a big deal. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, it's not, you know, it, it, yeah, mm-hmm. You're deceiving yourself, and when you deceive yourself, you start to say, hey, this sin that I'm involved in, it's all right to be involved in it. We deceive ourselves, and the problem with that is we start to go down the slippery slope of no return. Because at the end of that slope, guess what it is? Darkness. And then we're in the dark and we're walking in the dark. Stay away. You know, I say, you know, they say stay away from the light. Don't go towards the light. Because I guess that's heaven or something when you're dying. I say stay away from the darkness. All right, so verse 9, because I really wanted to get here because I'm not going to have a lot of time, but if nothing else, I'm going to... I'm going to bring this to our attention because verse 9. By the way, if you don't have this underline marked up written all over in your Bible, and if you haven't started to work at memorizing this passage, this is one of those passages that not only should you know by heart, but you should be teaching all the kids you know around you to know this by heart. Because this is the life ring when you're floating around in the ocean of sin, wondering, what am I going to do? I think I'm going to drown in my sin. There is a life ring that comes from God. And First 1 John 1, nine is that life ring. So if you don't know this verse, put it to memory. I guarantee you, you can have it done by next Sunday. It's not that hard. And here's what it says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Right? I mean, this is, this is good news. Of all the news you've heard today, this is the best news you could ever hear. Because the three words that every person on this planet at some point or another wants to hear is You are forgiven. There is nothing that sets the soul free, like hearing the words, I forgive you. Man, there is a burden that's lifted off. You're going like, is it true? Am I really forgiven? Am I really set free from this sin, from this thing that's been holding me down? Am I really forgiven? And the answer is yes. But you know what? In order to get to that place, we have to say the three most difficult words that will ever come out of your mouth. I have sinned. There was no praise of Louis on that one, was there? No, because you know what? That, that's the thing, is that in order to get you are forgiven, you have to come to the place where you say, I have sinned. Because if you never come to the place where you say, I have sinned, you will never hear from God, you will never hear from Jesus, you are forgiven. It just isn't going to happen because the Bible makes it really clear. That's why that little word right at the beginning of this verse is there. It's a conditional word, phrase. It says, if, if there is no confession, then there is going to be no forgiveness but if there is confession, then there is going to be forgiveness. And by the way, your sin first and foremost is always against God. That's what David said in Psalm fifty-one. He wrote this this long, um, poetic writing about his sin when he was after he was caught, you know, having a in an adulterous uh, uh, relationship with Bathsheba, killing her. St- her husband, and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, it was brought to light. And all of a sudden, he goes like, man, I have been found out, but thank you, God. Because listen to what he says in verse 4 of Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. That's David's words to God. If you've never read Psalm 51, if, if you feel a little bit like beat up by your sin, if you feel a little bit dragged down by the enemy on your sin, go read Psalm 51, man. It is, it is going to give you pep in your step. You're going to find a new joy, a new song in your mouth when you read that psalm because it is so amazing. But here's what it does. He recognized, first and foremost, that he had sinned against God. So the first confession needs to be God. And there's this marvelous thing that happens when you confess your sin to God. You see? It's right there. It's forgiveness and cleansing takes place immediately. Jesus doesn't say when you come and you confess your sin, if you do it like late on Friday night and you go like, oh man, I better confess my sin. You don't get a message back from God. You're... Sin will be processed on the next business day. It happens. Boom, boom, boom. Just that fast. As fast as you can get it out of your mouth, that's how fast you get forgiveness. You get cleansing. And it is marvelous. It's, a, it's the most precious thing that we ever get to experience. And you know what? It's one of those things that angels will never experience in their entire existence. They don't know what it is to be forgiven. You want to be an angel? Okay. Whoop-dee-doo. You don't get to experience forgiveness. I would rather be me and experience forgiveness sometimes almost on an hourly basis, to be honest. So here's what forgiveness does and cleansing does. It takes place immediately. You don't wait. You don't have to wait. You see those words right here and right now. And, and you don't have to offer anything to get that forgiveness. You don't have to spill some animal's blood. You don't have to pay any money. There's no kind of payment. You receive forgiveness and cleansing. It is only predicated on one thing and one thing only. Your Willingness and ability to confess your sins. Now, I want you to see that. Because when, when John's talking here, previous to this, when he said sin, he said sin. And right here in this verse, he says, confess your sins. What's the difference? When he's talking about sin, he's talking about sin. All of it. When he's talking about sins, he's saying Confess specific sins to God. It doesn't work that well to try to confess abstract sin to God. He wants us to be specific about the sin in our life that's holding us back. So why does God want us to confess our sin to Him? Well, Because what God wants you to do is he wants you to agree with him what he already knows about you. You're not hiding it from him. You're not revealing something to God that he doesn't already know. All he wants you to do is get on board with him and go like, you know what, God, I'm going to agree with you right now that this thing that I just did, it's sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me for my sin because this was a violation against you first and foremost. You want to know how to make a good confession? Read Psalm 51. That's how you make a good confession to God. And did you know that by confessing your sin, the second thing he wants to do is he wants to restore the fellowship that you have broken. God never breaks the fellowship. We break the fellowship. Did you know that when you, that when you sin, your sin doesn't just hurt God and you. Your sin, when you sin, it hurts the rest of the people in this church, they may not know you sinned, they may not know what your sin is, but your sin, especially when it goes unconfessed, it's gonna hurt everybody else. When I sin, my sin hurts you. My sin hurts the, the elder team. When I sin, my sin hurts the worship team. My sin hurts you. And when I confess that sin, I don't only find healing, you get to find healing as well. Because there's no such thing as a personal sin that doesn't hurt anybody. Even if we don't know about it, it still hurts someone. It hurts the kids in kids' church. It hurts the person you're sitting next to. And so... When we're restored into fellowship with God, we are then ultimately restored into fellowship with each other because your sin breaks the fellowship of those around you. God wants to bring healing in your life. I love what James chapter 5 says. It's not in here, but James chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. I mean, we have people who are hurting. They're wounded inside. They've got these deep wounds within them that, they've, that have been brought on by somebody else's sin, and it has done something here. They've, they continue to open those wounds up and hurt themselves because they've got sin that they've not confessed. Did you know, do you know what a harbor is? Because we're, we're kind of landlocked here. Anybody ever hear of Dutch Harbor? Yep, up in Alaska. A harbor is a place that is kind of surrounded by land, but has a little opening here, so that you can get in and out of it. And, it's, and, and they always say the harbor is a safe place. But I'm going to tell you that sometimes things that come into the harbor should never be there. Because sometimes we harbor anger. Sometimes we harbor resentment. Sometimes we harbor an unforgiving spirit. Sometimes we harbor the sin of the past. There are all kinds of things that God says, get that out of the harbor. Let's deal with that thing. Let's take care of it. Let's throw it away. Because when we come and we confess those sins to God and he takes them out of the harbor, guess what he does with them? He takes them out to the deepest place on the ocean. As far as the east is from the west. The deepest place in the ocean. He takes your sin and he drops it to the very bottom. And then there's this this ring of buoys that goes around that deep spot at the ocean. And a big sign right on that ring of buoys, it says, No Fishing. The Owner and Creator. No fishing. That means that once you confess that sin, once you give that sin to God, and it goes to the bottom of the sea, you don't go and fish it up again to wallow in it. You don't let the enemy bring that sin up, because that's what he's really good at. Because what he's going to do, if you listen to me on this, if you hear nothing else today, you need to hear this. If you have confessed your sin to God, and then 10 minutes later, you feel guilty about that sin... That is not from God. Because that sin is forgiven, it's tossed to the depths of the sea, and there's no fishing. That is the enemy of our soul, fishing that crap up off the bottom of the sea, and rubbing it in your face to make you feel guilty, because that is misplaced guilt by the enemy. The only reason you feel guilt from God is to confess unconfessed sin, and to get right with God. So, don't let the enemy mess your life up because that penalty has been paid for and the guilt is taken away. And restoration and renewal follow when God cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We have restoration and renewal and fellowship once again with God. And it is sweet and it's as sweet as it's ever been. And I want you to hear me. This is the last thing I'm going to say because I've got two minutes, according to me. I may be 10 minutes over, according to you. <laughs> I don't care. Two minutes. <laughs> All right. And I want you to hear me on this. Because when, when we get into the place we, we're, where we're sinning, if we're walking in darkness, we're a child of God, but we end up in a bad spot, and we, we are, we've, we've lied to ourselves, we've deceived ourselves, and now we're in this sin spot. What God wants to do is He wants to deal with the sin and He wants to remove the sin. But you're a child of God. And so when you disobey God, God does not take you as His child and remove you out of the family. You're not out. Just because you sinned against God, you're not out. Because you would never do that to one of your kids that disobey you. If one of your kids lied to you Stole 20 bucks, lied to you, went out and bought, you know, all of his friends, big Cokes and everything. They all had a sugar high. They came back and trashed your house. And you ask them, where'd you get the money? I found it on the road. Did you steal 20 bucks from me? No, I didn't do that. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you know, they're not confessing the sin. And you know that they stole it. Matter of fact, you might even have a camera with evidence showing them, and you go, who's that? And they go, not me. (laughs) And guess what? You don't take that kid and go like, here's your suitcase, Johnny, until you want to tell the truth, you're disqualified from being a family member. Out the door. Good luck. Hope you find somewhere warm and dry. We would never do that to our kids. We keep working with them. We keep loving on them. We keep helping them. We want them to grow. We want them to know. We want them to confess. We want them to experience forgiveness. And that's exactly the way God works with us. If you have unconfessed sin, you are no less a child of God because you've got sin or you don't have sin. You cannot get any more of God's love and you cannot get any less of God's love. You've got all of God's love and it is absolutely 100% Complete and full no matter what you do in your life. But the problem is you will break fellowship with God. You will break fellowship with believers. And you will end up in a place where your soul starts to shrivel up. And the only person that can fix that is you. And the only way you can fix that is by confessing your sin before God. So this morning, I'm just simply going to tell you that I don't know your heart. Thank the Lord. I don't know your heart. But what I do know is that when God calls you, and he may have already poked some of you this morning, because there may be some kind of a sin, some kind of something you're harboring in your life right now, and he's saying to you, I want you to come to the front, and I want you to deal with that. I want you to come to the front, and I want you to pray about that. And if you want one of the elders, one of the people that comes up here to help with prayer time, to to pray with you, just tap them on the shoulder. They're going to come up before you come up, And if you want them to pray, go right to them. Say, hey, will you pray with me? We've got oil over here. And so if you are ailing physically and you need healing, physical healing, come with the intention in your mind, I'm going to confess my sins so that I can be healed. Come to the front. Come and do that. The worship team's going to play. They're going to sing. It's an opportunity for you to respond to God because God's calling. Remember, when God calls and you don't respond, that's sin. Don't add to it. Respond. Father, I am so thankful that your grace and mercies are new every morning, that there isn't anything that would ever separate me from the love of God, that that all of my sin will never separate me from you, but you are calling me to not break fellowship with you. You're, not, you're calling me to walk in the light as you're in the light. You're calling us to do that. And God, sometimes we let stuff go. Sometimes we let things pile up. Sometimes we want to minimize the sin and yet it doesn't matter how small we think it is, it is still a major offense to you. So I will simply ask today, your Holy Spirit be at work in your people and those who need freedom today from their guilt and from their sin that they would not... Let shame keep them in their seats. But they would shake shame off, that they would leave guilt behind. They would come, they would confess, they would find freedom, and they would find newness and renewal in you. We pray in your great name, Jesus. Amen.